Paul is arguing for fellowship and humility in this church in Corinth that he's writing to rather than division and pride. That's what he's doing in the first part of his letter. Last week, we read about the gospel focus, the spirit dependence, and the pastoral purpose of Paul's ministry in Corinth. He had reminded the Corinthians that they were fools, converted by a foolish message, delivered by a foolish method through a foolish man. They were not converted by what he calls in verse 5, the wisdom of men. That was an important point to make because of the Greeks' love for and devotion to the wisdom of men. They loved the wisdom of the day and it was spoiling their church. It was leading to division and infighting and pride and boasting in a city and region that prized knowledge and understanding and philosophy and wisdom. It was very tempting for this church in particular to idolize certain teachers and then to look down their noses at the followers of others. And so again, Paul has reminded them of the power of God behind their conversion and behind his ministry. They had been saved by a foolish message through a foolish man. They were not saved by the wisdom of men. But that's not to say that all wisdom is bad. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that all wisdom is bad. And that is exactly what Paul wants to say in the first part of our text today. On the heels of discrediting the wisdom of men, Paul says in 2 verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Not all wisdom is bad, he's saying. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. There is another kind of wisdom. It is a wisdom that Paul has alluded to in this letter before, but he's going to clarify in our text today. So, I have organized this sermon under four questions, four questions about wisdom that Paul will answer in chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. And here are the four questions. Regarding this wisdom, number one, what is it? Number two, who does not have it? Number three, who does have it? Number four, how'd they get it? So what is this wisdom he's talking about? Who does not have it? Who does have it? And how'd they get it? And remember that as we move forward in this sermon, that this is God's word, not my word, not your word. This is God's word. And in God's word alone, we learn who we are. And more importantly, we learn who God is. And most importantly, in his word alone, we learn how we can be at peace with God. How we can be reconciled to God, how we can be saved from our sin, saved from ourselves, saved from Satan, saved from God, from his justice. Whenever God's word is preached faithfully, which I plan to do, and if the Holy Spirit would come and inspire a sermon, then inevitably God will be glorified and people's hearts will be changed. So before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, as all of us, including myself, listen to this sermon, fill our minds with truth about you. Fill our hearts with desire for you. 
and move our wills to trust, honor, and obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which if you don't have a Bible, please take that with you. It's our gift. You'll find today's text on page 619. Page 619. Let's begin in chapter 2, verse 6. I read this before. Let me read it again. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So in verse 5, look at the verse right before. Paul had just devalued a kind of wisdom. But that does not mean Paul is opposed to all wisdom. Therefore, he says in verse 6, yet among some people, the mature, we'll learn more about them next week, we do impart wisdom. But as we'll see, Paul has a very different kind of wisdom in mind. So let's get to our questions about this wisdom. Number one, what is it? Here are verses six and seven. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So I'm sure you see it. There are two kinds of wisdom here. One good, one bad. The wisdom that Paul conveys or imparts or passes on is not what he calls in verse 6, the wisdom of the age. This means the popular wisdom of the day. The common wisdom of the day. In 1 verse 20, he called it the wisdom of the world. In chapter 1 verse 17, he called it eloquent wisdom. And in 2 verse 5, he called it the wisdom of men. It's all the same thing. The wisdom of men, eloquent wisdom, wisdom that sounds good. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of this age. It is the popular, common wisdom. It is that knowledge that is popular that says this is true. This is reality. This is the way you should live your life. This is right. This is wrong. This is the foundation. This is the basis. And there is a wisdom that Paul is not imparting that answers all those questions. Paul would say wrongly. And it is the wisdom of men. The wisdom of this age. The wisdom Paul imparts is also, what does he say? Not the wisdom of the rulers of this age. Who are these rulers? The rulers of this age could have various meanings. But I think it refers to people of prominence. People with clout. People with influence. They're not necessarily the most intelligent. They're not necessarily the most informed, but they are powerful in that they rule over the hearts of the people. So their wisdom often becomes the people's wisdom. So in Corinth, these were the people Paul described in chapter one as the wise men, the scribes. And the debaters, these were the people of influence. These were the people with clout. These were the people who would promote certain wisdom and the people would assume that that is good wisdom. Today, this is often the university professor or the songwriter or the movie star or the professional athlete. Think about it. These are the people in our day that hold sway, that hold influence, that people listen to. They're not necessarily, not saying they're all not, but they're not necessarily the most informed. They're not necessarily the most intelligent. They're not necessarily those most qualified. And yet their views are often carried over into the people. 
And they are, what does the end of verse 6 say? About the rulers of this age who hold to a wisdom of this age. They are doomed to pass away. The rulers of this age who hold to a wisdom of this age are doomed to pass away. And so is their wisdom. You'll remember in chapter 1 verse 19. Where God said about this wisdom of the world. God said I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In other words, I will destroy the wisdom of the so-called wise. So their wisdom is worldly wisdom. Their thinking is worldly thinking. We need to know the difference. It is in opposition to God. It is in opposition to truth. It is ultimately devoted to self. To self-sufficiency. To self-exaltation. According to Proverbs 14.12, this wisdom seems or feels right. But in the end, it leads to death. It is a deadly cul-de-sac. It is the wisdom, chapter 1, verse 18, of those who are perishing. It is, we might say, secular humanism. There is no God. There is no soul. There is no afterlife. And those are wrong and deadly presuppositions. This is not the wisdom that Paul is imparting. He's imparting something completely different. But that is the common wisdom of the day. It is what you will hear. It is what is popular. It is what is common. It is what will often make you an outsider. It sounds good. The Bible tells us this. It seems right to a man. It feels right to a man. It lines up maybe with your experience. It lines up maybe with your reasoning. It lines up maybe with your logic. And so it's attractive. And it is appealing. But the Bible says that it is dangerous and it is deadly. And so that wisdom is the kind of thinking that Paul is speaking out against. And it is certainly not the wisdom he imparts. So back to our question, what is it? What is the wisdom Paul passes on? And the answer is in verse 7. Verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Yeah, they're excited. The wisdom of God. That's the answer. The wisdom of God is the wisdom that Paul imparts, according to verse 7. That is the wisdom that we're after. You and I. That's the wisdom that we want. Not the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of God. Paul has mentioned this wisdom three other times in chapter 1, verse 21, and verse 24, and verse 30. This would be the wisdom that's described by Solomon in his book of Proverbs. This is the kind of wisdom we should all seek after, the wisdom of God. Listen to Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 6. He's pleading with his son, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding from his mouth, his words From his mouth. And what is this? 
This is his words from his mouth. And we do not live, it says in Deuteronomy 8, on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this is the foundation, Christian. This is the foundation of your wisdom. In here is the wisdom of God. And this should be the foundation for all of your life. Not your varying philosophies. Not your varying worldviews. Not your life experience. Not what people have told you or taught you. But the word of God. Not your favorite political pundit. Not your political party. Not your favorite author. Not your favorite preacher. But the word of God. And you should take anything and everything that you are thinking about and say, what does the word of God teach? What does the word of God teach? Not what does he say, not what does she say, not what do we say, not what do they say, but what does God say? The wisdom of God is what we're after. And then Paul says this in verse seven about the wisdom of God. He says it is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. The meaning of that will become even more clear in verses to come. But at this point, it's enough to say that this wisdom of God is not naturally known or naturally found. It's a secret wisdom in that way. It's a hidden wisdom in that way. So you can't just use your natural powers and abilities as a human being and find it, stumble across it, or know it. It's secret and hidden. He'll say more about that. And then Paul also says this. It is a wisdom. What does he say? Which God decreed before the ages. For our glory. So this wisdom of God is not the wisdom of these ages. It's unlike the wisdom of verse six. It is a wisdom not of these ages, but before the ages. In other words, this wisdom is not the invention of man. It's before man. This wisdom of God is not the invention of man. It is a wisdom. Think about this. It is a wisdom in the eternal mind of God. That's where it is. It is it's it's in the eternal mind of God. And it is for, we're told, our glory. In other words, it is good for us. It is best for us. So now, according to these verses we've already read, this wisdom is fundamentally the gospel. It's not all the wisdom of God is. But the wisdom of God is fundamentally, foundationally, basically, it is the gospel. That's the point that Paul has been making in these first two chapters. It is the word of the cross. Listen to chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. We preach Christ crucified. That's the gospel. Paul says we preach Christ crucified. And then he says this about it. The gospel. A stumbling block to Jews. Folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ the power of God. And the wisdom of God. So if you collapse that verse. Take out all those describers of the gospel. Except the last one out. He's saying we preach Christ crucified crucified, which is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is fundamentally the gospel. In other words, true wisdom. True knowledge for life is found in the cross of Christ. 
the gospel is ground zero for all wisdom. There is no real wisdom apart from the gospel. If you don't know the gospel, if you don't believe the gospel, you will not know wisdom. There's a story about John Newton. You know who John Newton is? He was once a slave trader, was dramatically converted by God, became a Christian, became a pastor, became a songwriter. He's written several songs that we sing here. Probably has written the most famous hymn of all time, Amazing Grace. He was asked by a friend once, old in his age, stumbling around, almost blind, still preaching. Still preaching. And his friend asked him, how much longer are you going to preach? I mean, you could barely get up there. You can't see who you're preaching to. You can't hear very well anymore. He was knocking on death's door. How long will you preach? To which he famously replied, as long as I know that I am a great sinner and he is a great savior. The gospel. As long as I have that fundamental wisdom to impart as Paul did to others. That I am a great sinner and he is a great savior. So what is it? What is this wisdom that Paul imparts? It is the wisdom of God from God and for our good. It is the wisdom of God from God and for our good. Let's move on in our verses. Let's move on to the second question. Number two, who does not have it? Who does not have this wisdom? That may already be clear to you. But let's read verses eight and nine. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. So who does not have this wisdom of God? The rulers of Paul's age didn't have it. That's what he says in verse 8. They didn't understand it, according to verse 8. And how did Paul know? How did Paul know that they didn't understand it? And he says this, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, if the rulers of this age had the wisdom of God, they wouldn't have killed him. That's an understandable argument. They did not have the wisdom of God. They killed God. They killed his one and only son. The rulers of our age also do not have the wisdom of God. Most of the time, those people of influence, clout, sway, prominence, those we look to for wisdom, don't have the wisdom of God. Remember, it is not easily or naturally found. Where do you look for the wisdom of God? Where do you not look for the wisdom of God? This is a very practical question. You all are born with enormous questions. Enormous questions. Who am I really? Is there a God? Is there an afterlife? Is there such a thing as truth? Right? We all have these enormous questions. And we in one way or another in our life find answers to those questions. Wrong answers, right answers. But we, we have to have answers to those questions. 
the answers to those questions come from the one who made you. The one who created you. And the answers are found in his word. The wisdom of God, not the wisdom of men. Paul quotes Isaiah 64, 4 in verse 9. And probably some other verses also, actually. And his point there is that your eyes can't see wisdom. Your, your ear can't hear wisdom. Your heart, and by heart he meant mind. They thought of the heart differently than we do. Your mind cannot, on its own, even imagine. It cannot comprehend. It cannot understand wisdom. His point is natural human ability comes up short. So who does not have this wisdom? The world does not have it. The world does not have it. So question three, who does have it? If, if the world doesn't have it or anyone in the world, that sounds like we're in trouble. Does anyone have this wisdom of God? The answer is yes. So who does have it? To answer this question, we need to glance at a few verses. Look with me. Who, who has this wisdom? Look at verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. We. We impart wisdom. So whoever the we is has the wisdom of God. Look at verse 7. Same thing. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. There's the same pronoun again. We. And now look down at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us. Us. So who are the we and the us? That'll answer our question. That's a pretty straightforward question, isn't it? It's obviously Paul. It's obviously Paul. And who, who is Paul including with him? When he says we have this wisdom or when he says this wisdom has been given to us. And to answer that, all we have to do is go back to the beginning of this letter and see who it's addressed to. When he says we, that's who he's talking about. When he says us, that's who he's talking about himself and those he wrote the letter to. So listen to chapter one, verse two. To the church of God. That is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So who has it? Paul has the wisdom of God. And the church of God in Corinth has the wisdom of God. Those who had been sanctified and called to be saints with. And listen, because this may include you now, if you're a Christian. He's writing to those who had been sanctified and called to be saints with some other people, with all those who in every place call upon the name of. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you here this morning. Having called. On the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If so. Then who has this wisdom of God. We do. That's what we're learning. We have this wisdom of God. If you are a Christian. You have it. If you've been a Christian for one day, you have the basis for all wisdom. You have the foundation for all wisdom. That's not to say you're as wise as you'll ever be. Hopefully, and you should grow in the wisdom of God for your entire life. You'll become, in God's word, wiser and wiser and wiser. But as a Christian. Five minutes in. You possess the wisdom of God. 
The wisdom of the God is the gospel, fundamentally. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified. It is the cross, fundamentally. It is he is a great savior and I am a great sinner. So who has this wisdom? We have this wisdom. Paul had this wisdom. The Corinthian Christian had this wisdom. And so do all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's one more question. And it's actually the most important question. How'd they get it? How'd they get this wisdom? How'd you get this wisdom? This is the heart of our text. This is Paul's main point. There are two kinds of wisdom in the world. There is the wisdom of the world and there is the wisdom of God. One leads to delight. One leads to despair. One leads to heaven. The other to hell. A Christian alone has the wisdom of God. How they get it. Did they work for it? Did they study for it? Did they pray for it? Did they find it? Listen to verse 10. These things, that is the wisdom of God. God has revealed to us through the spirit. How did Paul and the Corinthians acquire the wisdom of God? God had revealed it to them. The theological word for this is revelation. Revelation happens when God makes known something that would otherwise be unknown. That's revelation. Otherwise, through any other means, it would not be known. It would be unknown. It's the only way you're going to have this knowledge. That's revelation. When God makes known what would otherwise be unknown. And it's a very important word to understand. The wisdom of God came to them and the wisdom of God came to you by revelation. Paul is again, don't forget what Paul is doing. He is battling division and pride and arrogance and boasting. And he's trying to replace that in the Corinthian church with fellowship and humility And so he's taking the legs out again, out from underneath any arrogance or boasting or pride. Well, we have, you just told us, we have the wisdom of God. And Christians can act like that. We have the wisdom of God. A Christian alone has the wisdom of God. You don't. Nah, 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 nah. You're on the outside. We're on the inside. We're good. You're bad. We're spiritual. You're unspiritual. We have the wisdom of God alone. We're an elite group. We're an elite club. No one else has this wisdom except us. So what is Paul making very clear? Well, that's true. You do have the wisdom of God, but you didn't get the wisdom of God by observation. Not by education. Not by research or study or discovery. The wisdom of God can only be known by revelation. The wisdom of God can only be known by revelation. This should start to stir up gratitude right now. If you're a Christian. You should start to feel a warmth toward God right now. Because if you are a Christian. 
if you know the gospel, if you know this wisdom of God, it's not because you were smarter than someone else or more spiritual than someone else or more open to it than someone else. It's not because you were looking or seeking more than someone else. It wasn't because of your observational skills or your education. That you went on a mission to find and research and study and discover at the end of the day, it was by revelation. Look back at verse seven with me. I said we would elaborate on this. There, do you remember Paul called the wisdom of God secret and hidden or some of your translations call this wisdom a mystery. Now, when Paul calls this wisdom a mystery, right, you see the difference. He doesn't mean a sort of puzzle that can be solved through investigations like a Scooby Doo mystery. We use the word mystery like that. What's well, a mystery? It's like a puzzle. You've got to find clues and investigate, and then the mystery can be solved. When the Bible talks about the wisdom of God and the gospel being a mystery, that's not what it means, obviously. He means that this wisdom of God is something that had been secret and hidden forever and had only recently been made known. That's what it means to call the gospel a mystery. To call the wisdom of God a mystery. It means that it was secret and hidden forever and had only, as Paul writes, recently been made known through Jesus. So Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians chapter 3. Which is where in his writing he explains what he means by calling the gospel, the wisdom of God, a mystery. Let me read you those verses. Or you can turn there if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and verse 9. And and here's what the question I'm trying to help us answer. Paul, what do you mean when you say that the wisdom of God, the gospel, is a secret and hidden mystery? And he makes it even more clear in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. See? So, it's not a mystery that you know through investigation. It is a mystery that is made known through Revelation, it was revealed to Paul. Verse four. When you read this, Paul says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. And it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit. So here's what he's saying. The gospel, the wisdom of God is a mystery. In other words, like if you read the Bible, if you read the biblical account of human history, you have like in the Old Testament, you have these sort of clues, right? That th- this is how God is going to save people from their sin. But there's not a full understanding by any means. It is just it, it is a secret and hidden mystery, how God is going to save people from their sin. And then Jesus comes and saves people from their sin. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to inspire apostles and prophets to teach, preach and write about how God saves people from their sin. So now this mystery of how God will save people from their sin that has been unknown forever is now made known through the word of the apostles and the prophets, which we have recorded in this Bible. In the word of God. That's the mystery of the gospel. It was forever unknown and now has been made known Through God's word. 
And then he says in verse 9 that his ministry, this is in Ephesians 3, Paul said that his ministry was to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. So the wisdom of God is a secret and hidden mystery. It can only be known through revelation. It was revealed to Paul and Paul worked to make it known to others. But there's one more thing here. There's more. How? How was this wisdom of God revealed to Paul? And how was this wisdom of God revealed to the Corinthians? It was revealed by God, but how? I mean, sure, Paul spoke this wisdom, but presumably he spoke it to people that didn't receive it. So it wasn't actually revealed to them. And presumably people spoke this wisdom of God and the gospel to Paul many times before he received it. So how is this actually revealed? How does revelation actually happen? Or here's a better question. Who does the revelation come through? What did verse 10 say? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Paul has already said that his ministry, you remember in verse 4, He's already said his ministry was dependent on the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the ways, one of the ways Paul's ministry was dependent on the Holy Spirit was revelation. The Holy Spirit alone reveals the wisdom of God. No spirit, no wisdom. No Holy Spirit, no gospel. And now in our final two verses, two more verses to go. Paul gives us a basic doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which we'll be looking at more in the weeks to come because he's going to develop this. Let's start with verse 11, which I'll read with verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Here's what Paul is saying in verses 10 through 11. The Spirit of God alone knows the thoughts of God, just like you alone know your thoughts. No one else knows your thoughts. I don't know your thoughts. Many of you have been smiling and nodding throughout this sermon, but for all I know, you're thinking about lunch or football. No one knows the thoughts of someone else except the someone else. This is a great question for husbands to remember with their wives. No one knows your wife's thoughts other than your wife, right? No one knows your thoughts other than you. Think of communication problems and issues in marriage. I thought you meant this. I didn't mean that. Well, I thought you meant this. I didn't mean that. Why? Because no one, no one on planet Earth knows my thoughts other than me. No one. No one knows the thoughts of God other than the Spirit of God. Your thoughts, your spirit alone knows your thoughts. God's thoughts, his spirit alone knows his thoughts. The only one who can penetrate the deep thoughts of God is the spirit of God himself. That is why Paul is telling us it is the Holy Spirit that reveals to us the wisdom of God. You cannot know God. Apart from the Holy Spirit. Let's put all of this together so far. The wisdom Paul imparts. Is the wisdom of God. 
The world does not have this wisdom. The church of God alone possesses this wisdom and they received it by revelation from God through the Holy Spirit. That leaves us with one more verse, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So here's what I want to do. After reading that verse, I want to go back to our very first question and ask it again. Our very first question was about the wisdom of God. What is it? I know we've asked it and answered this question at the beginning, but there's something more to see here in our last verse. According to verse 12, what is this wisdom of God that has been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit? Listen for the answer to that question. What does verse 12 say in addition about this wisdom of God and what it is? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So the wisdom of God includes an understanding of the things freely given us by God. God has given us His Holy Spirit that we might understand the things God has freely given us. That word freely is very important. God has freely given to us. In other words, God is not compelled in any way to give anything to us. He gives to us freely. He doesn't owe us anything. We don't deserve anything. There's not a single contribution we make or condition that we meet in order to receive anything from God. Anything that God gives is freely given. And in conclusion, I wonder what things Paul had in mind in verse 12. Things. God has given us his Holy Spirit that we could understand the things is all he says. Freely given us by God. I can think of so many things God has freely given to me. He has given us Christ. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his word. He has given us forgiveness of sin. He has given us Christ's righteousness. He has given us promises. He has given us help and comfort and a thousand other blessings. One of the blessings that God has given us is a memorial to his son's death. And every Sunday following every sermon here, we respond by taking communion together. This is a memorial. This is something we do in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We do it in obedience to him and in remembrance of what he has accomplished on the cross through his death. Later in the letter we're studying, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
So we're remembering and proclaiming the Lord's sacrificial death this morning. If you are here and you're visiting, you are welcomed. You are invited to take communion with us if you are a baptized believer. If you are a Christian, you have confessed your sin, we mean, and placed your trust for salvation in the work of Christ alone. And if you are part of a local church, whether is this or another that is faithfully preaching this gospel you heard today. So in a minute, we'll have leaders up here who want to serve you. Please empty into the center aisle and come forward and take the bread and juice and then return to your seat from the outside aisles. And if you would wait and we'll take the bread and juice together as a family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for the opportunity to hear the preaching of your word, which we know is a significant time when you send your Holy Spirit to speak through someone and to move in our eyes and ears and hearts so that we could receive your word and truth. God, I pray for people who are here today that that may not know you. And I ask God that you would open their hearts so that even now they would receive the good news that Jesus came, lived, suffered, died, and rose from the dead in the place of sinners like them so that sinners like them could be reconciled to God for joy forever. We ask and pray that you be honored and glorified in this time now as we remember the price that has been paid for our salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.